Welcome to the inaugural edition of the Innovation Armory podcast, where you can arm yourself with the knowledge to drive, enable, and predict sector innovations by learning from leading founders across both the technology and consumer landscapes. I'm your host, Sam Napany. Today's episode features a discussion with Aaron Gelbard, CEO of Bloom & Wild, the leading online flower delivery company across the UK and Europe. Bloom & Wild has raised nearly £100 million of cumulative funding and recently raised a £75 million Series D round led by General Catalyst. In this episode, you'll hear from Aaron about how Bloom & Wild differentiates from its competitors through a combination of business process, packaging, supply chain, and consumer interface innovations. I really appreciated Aaron's lessons on the importance of vertical integration in supply chains, gift-giving in consumer businesses, and how to export B2B innovations into the B2C world. You can check out more takeaways from this episode and additional content at samnapany.substack.com or theinnovationarmory.com. I hope you enjoy my episode with Aaron. did you initially get into the flower delivery business and what did you see that was wrong with the sector uh, with how incumbents like FTD and 1-800-Flowers in the U.S. were, were, were approaching flower delivery as an industry? Sure. So uh, before Bloom and Wild, I worked as a management consultant at Bain. I worked uh, with retail uh, consumer products and tech companies, both in London and actually in Silicon Valley. And I therefore became interested in e-commerce and direct-to-consumer business models that were popping up at the time. I'd also had really disappointing experiences sending flowers. And as I uh, started to think about starting a business, it felt like a, a really big uh, industry that nobody had uh, really tried to disrupt and do things uh, differently in. And as I, I dug into it a bit more, it felt like there were three main areas. There was uh, Nobody really optimizing the supply chain and uh, reducing the number of steps uh, between the grower and the end customer. And actually, some of the businesses that you describe that outsource uh, packing to um, to mom and pop uh, flower stores um, add a number of steps into the supply chain by choosing that model. Secondly, it felt like nobody had built bespoke technology to either make better user experiences or uh, more scalable and flower-specific uh, operations. And finally, it felt like there's no brand uh, that people really loved in this category. I think uh, people have favorite brands for everything. Uh, you know, we buy kitchen cleaning products and have favorite brands, even though the product is very functional, yet flowers exist for us to we use uh, flowers to express emotions to people that we really care about. And we start uh, our search journey with Google and we hope for the best. And that made no sense to me. I come from a, a family of entrepreneurs. My dad is an entrepreneur, both my granddads were. And so as I, uh, it was always a question of wanting to start something at some time. And, and this felt like a space that was uh, worth uh, getting stuck into. And I'm really glad that I did. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting and, and really appreciate uh, all, all the background on, on the business there. Um, it, it definitely is a category that is, is highly fragmented in, in the offline world where, you know, even even when you like like you mentioned, when you when you look at uh, traditional retail, um, independent florist and, and flower shops, um, there isn't really a great national or international brand as it relates to to, to offline retail. Um, and I think there, like like you mentioned, there's a really interesting consolidation opportunity um, in in the digital world, focused on, uh, on on some of those key pillars 
um, of innovation that you mentioned. And I'd like to, to dig in um, on a couple of those different innovation areas. Maybe first starting with uh, logistics, given that I spent uh, a lot of my time personally focused on the logistics and supply chain technology sectors. I'd just be curious, uh, you know, for, for listeners that aren't as familiar with uh, logistics technology systems and more broadly with the supply chain within, uh, you know, with, within, within flowers and the, the plant supply chain, um, can you talk about, uh, you know, just at a high level, um, how the logistics ecosystem in, in the flower space is different than, than maybe other sectors uh, like food and beverage um, or, or more traditional trade flows? And then more specifically, um, as it relates to Bloom and Wild, um, how you leverage uh, your grower relationships to give yourself an unfair competitive advantage relative to other, other players in the space from, a, from an online perspective. Yeah, so I guess with logistics, in a way, um, in a way, it is similar to to perishable food, and that the the supply chain needs to move very quickly, and the the more quickly you can get the product from the um, the farm to the end consumer, you have uh, three benefits. Firstly, you uh, you reduce the cost, and therefore the price you're able to charge. Um, Secondly, you uh, increase the useful life of the product. That's maybe a bit different between flowers and, um, you know, fruit and veg. If you um, buy a tomato, um, you're going to eat it once. Uh, you know, and it's nice if it lasts in your fridge for five days rather than three days, but you still get the that one, you know, moment of value out of eating it. If you um, buy a flower instead of a tomato, then... Um, if it lasts for five days rather than two days, then you get two and a half times as much value out of it because you look at it rather than eating it. So um, actually the um, the speed of the supply chain is even more important than in uh, other fresh produce. Um, the third area, uh, reason why it's important to move quickly is from a sustainability perspective where the more steps there are in the supply chain between the, um, the grower and the end consumer, um, the more misforecasting and therefore waste there is, the more unpacking and repacking there is, which uh, causes packaging waste, um, causes damage to the product while it's being unpacked and repacked, and the more indirect journey it takes, which increases its carbon footprint. So um, because of all of those specific considerations, having a really direct route from a grower to an end consumer is super important. We started our business uh, with this insight as um, as really critical to what we were trying to do, and as a result, we tried to form relationships with uh, with uh, growers at the very start of the supply chain, and uh, we think that gave us an unfair advantage, as you put it, versus people operating a, um, a relay or marketplace type model where they were matching demand to small businesses that are already, you know, step six or seven in the supply chain. As we've scaled, we've been able to build on this advantage by investing in activities like dedicated planting programs, which mean that we can control what uh, precise um, crop is being grown. And as a result of that can achieve cost position advantage, but also be able to, um, to pl uh, ensure that we're selling flowers that have been uh, specifically planted based on our uh, customer feedback around quality um, that we've gathered. Um, and we also have guaranteed supply and availability, which is important at peaks. Another initiative that has been really valuable from a, a supply perspective has been that we've started to 
do some of the uh, production um, at source uh, where the farms are around the world. For example, in Kenya, which is an important source country for us for selling flowers in Europe. Um, and that we don't do the final production there, but we're able to do a number of the initial steps of uh, gathering the different types of flowers, bunching them together um, and, and doing initial quality control and, and flower preparation upstream. And that uh, further, um, you know, improves our cost position and also reduces our environmental impact. Got it. That's, that's, that's really interesting. And uh, really, really love the, uh, the carbon offset element uh, and the, the, the green environmental impact as well, that you're not only delivering additional value to, to customers through um, fresher flowers that are delivered, delivered in, you know, reliable, consistent and, and cost effective way, but there's also um, a really interesting social impact element to it, to it as well. Um, you, you mentioned towards the end of your, your answer uh, a little bit on how upstream uh, for, for the growers, inter, you know, for, for Kenya in particular, how you help prepare the flowers and uh, various processes that, that help enable the growers to have more, more efficient operations or help them produce flowers that will be, you know, loved most by consumers and delight your end consumers. Could you talk a little bit more about, about uh, that side of the business? Um, I think a lot of listeners will probably be more familiar with the direct-to-consumer, more end-user-facing uh, focus of, of these types of marketplace businesses. But there's, you know, you're also you're connecting uh, the growers that are on your platform with these end consumers. So, what are some other ways that you help out uh, the, those grower those growers, whether they be in Kenya or uh, UK or growers in other countries? Yeah, so th th this is really important. and it It's actually important to our business and it's even more important to Bluemon's business, our new acquisition. So we, our strategy has been to uh, consolidate volume with a small number of growers and build deep relationships and, and start to develop some of this uh, um, sort of offshore partnership activity around uh, dedicated growing and packing. Bluemon's strategy has been different and, and they complement each other really nicely and they've formed relationships with over 200 growers. And uh, as a result of that, they're able to offer a very wide variety and, and source quite rare stems and have a lot of seasonal diversity. So worth uh, elaborating on that because I think the two businesses uh, complement each other nicely on that regard. Because both of us are um, obsessive about gathering feedback and in gifting, which uh, flowers often are, you need to get feedback both from the sender but also from the recipient. Um, so we, we do both separately. We're able to use that, collate that feedback and understand what not only what bouquet designs work well, but also what underlying flowers within each bouquet are sources of positivity or negativity. So again, this is a bit different to a food um, uh, business. If you um, if you're selling a meal kit, you might say that you you didn't like the spaghetti uh, ragu uh, this week, but you won't say you know I, I thought the carrots were a bit too crunchy and that's why I didn't like it. But with flowers, you do get this very specific feedback about it. You know I didn't like my bouquet because the roses were um, drooped a little bit sooner than I thought they should have done. And so you can uh, collect that feedback on a granular level if you ask the right questions, and then you can both pass that back to growers and you can identify problems. You can change growers if needed. You can have them really rapidly respond to problems and um, you know, change production batch, et cetera. But you can also make longer term decisions about um, what type of crops you, you grow as you start to get this feedback on a large scale. And that's really valuable. 
Yeah, no, that's it's really interesting. And given given the large base of uh, given the large base of, of growers that you have in your network and and the two hundred plus that were added in the the Bluemont acquisition, it's interesting to think as well how you're able to help coordinate cross the cross grower supply chain as well and how different uh, how different crops and 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 uh, and, and flower varieties um, are, are optimized from a, a, a supply and demand perspective kind of across the system. So I think it's really fascinating to to think about. Um, I, I'd be, you know, I'd be, I'd be interested in hearing, um, you know, given given your business is a direct to consumer business, uh, which relative to, 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 you know, more of a, an enterprise software or an enterprise tech enabled service businesses, uh, sometimes sometimes it can be more difficult to retain customers from a retention perspective. Um, and I'd be curious to hear what what you do on the consumer side to, to ensure that you retain end users in terms of the operational and technological practices that you put in place, um, but also as well to our earlier conversation on the grower side, um, how do you ensure that you retain growers in addition to some of that data optimization initiative that you mentioned? Yeah, so uh, the grower retention we've done through, uh, a part of it is the data, but I think a big part of it has been uh, being a, a reliable source of uh, scalable growth, and obviously we've been we've been fortunate during the COVID pandemic, and um, have seen our growth uh, accelerate further at a time where you know offline retail um, customers have uh, have unfortunately had to be more erratic with their buying from uh, uh, from source flower growers. So uh, I think uh, our, our grower partners, knowing that. Uh, our business is healthy, uh, well-capitalized, growing, and, and them seeing us making exciting announcements like raising funding or um, acquiring companies uh, makes them uh, excited about working with us and um, and seeing if you're in the flower-growing business, you want to know that the crop that you're going to plant, you're going to be able to sell for a good price in the future. So having some of these longer-term uh, contracts with customers and, and feeling like that you have that security is, uh, is a win-win. From a consumer retention perspective, we, we've invested really heavily here and actually we see um, super strong uh, sales retention rates over the long term. So our customers remain really sticky. We, we've done a few things that we do a lot of stuff that I think is, is quite normal around e email marketing, CRM, et cetera, social, but then We've done a few things that I think are, are really specific. One of them is a, a really strong investment in, in a data science team instead of algorithms. This means that we can personalize how we communicate both how frequently and with what level of promotion to different customers based on data that they've shared with us over time. And it, uh, as a result of that, we're able to um, invest in customers where necessary or where appropriate, but without uh, overly scaling our retention marketing budget. And that uh, efficient deployment of, um, of retention marketing spend has been really important for us to, to profitably scale repeat marketing. The other thing that we've done, um, there, there are a number of other um, data science uh, aspects as well, such as uh, using it to pers personalize our merchandising. So we show different products to different consumers in a different order, again, based on the, the data that they've shared with us. And we have, um, you know, uh, mid single digit millions of customers now and um, many hundreds of millions of data points. And so we can be pretty specific with the, the deployment of these algorithms. In addition, one of the things that we, we work hard to understand from our customers and we um, 
incentivize them to share this data with us is uh, when they have occasions that are really important to them. In a, in a business like ours, which is uh, relatively low frequency, but where customer longevity can be very high and therefore the lifetime value can be high, it's really important to understand when people are in the market for buying a flower gift because it's not all the time. So gathering that data um, you know, in a disciplined fashion from our customers and then using it to plan individualized mar uh, marketing across our website, email, app, push, et cetera, has been uh, really important for us. Yeah, that's 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 really fascinating. And one area I'm interested in exploring um, as it relates to the act of, of, of gift giving is it, it, it makes a lot of sense, the different data initiatives that, that you mentioned in terms of how to optimize the, the types of flowers that are presented to, to, to users on the platform, promotions, pricing, et cetera, all the different ways that you, that you optimize. But given that individuals that are on the platform are often purchasing flowers as gifts for different people for different occasions, how, how, how from a data perspective do you factor in um, this specific act uh, that, that is tied to that, that gift or tie in uh, data that's specific to the occasion in order to make that recommendation? Are, are, there, are, there, are there methods of, of pattern matching that help you um, optimize the data both for uh, the, the user, but also uh, based on the types of gifts they tend to give or the types of occasions they tend to gift for? Yes. So we get users to, um, to share information um, actively. So um, they can save an occasion um, and they can uh, you know, when they make a purchase or they can save occasions at other times, they can import occasions from their calendars. They can actually export occasions back to their calendars um, as well, which means that we have a touch point outside the Bloom and Wild ecosystem to remind them of um, uh, yeah, of these occasions that they've asked us to, to remind them of. So there's that area. We then um, know a lot from in aggregate from uh, looking at people's um, product selection and then uh, gift messages and we don't look at this on an individual basis but on aggregate we can see what percentage of people who buy product x write the word the phrase happy birthday in a gift message or choose a um a greeting card design that has a birthday um uh, you know birthday message on it and so as a result of that we know which products are relatively more or relatively less uh, popular for birthdays and then we can merchandise those accordingly um for people who we know have birthdays because they've told us about it so uh, I mean, there are a number of additional data points, but th th that's an example of, uh, I guess, the matching of individualized data that users have consented to share with us with aggregate data across uh, broader user behavior, which we can use to then make, provide more relevant experiences to users um, who have shared that data with us. Yeah, no, that's really fascinating. And I can definitely see how that, that helps drive uh, a more efficient and, and data-driven uh, discovery process, but also a more personalized and, and bespoke process to uh, actually promoting the, the flowers to individual users on the platform. Um, you, you know, just, just going back to our, our, our topic on retention and, and some of the different levers you use to, to, to maintain uh, strong customer and end user relationships, I noticed on your website that you also have a subscription flower offering, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about just some of the considerations that that, that you had from a strategic perspective in launching that subscription initiative. Um, so considerations around pricing, uh, consumer demand, delivery dynamics, and I'd be curious to hear what the uptake has been so far, and and uh, and and what what how that initiative has been performing. 
Yeah, so um, subscription is something that we've offered for some time, and our, our observations are that it makes sense to have a subscription offering, but we don't think we should be subscription only. I think in um, a number of other categories where you you need to get the product uh, predictably um, because uh, there's a natural consumption cycle, so like pet food or diapers would be obvious examples of this. Subscriptions make complete sense because um, there is that uh, predictable uh, consumption. In flowers, whether it's for self-purchase or for gifting, um, the product is more discretionary and people don't need to have flowers all the time. So as a result of that, we don't think a subscription-only model makes sense, but we think having subscription as an option for customers that do want flowers either for themselves or for a loved one more regularly is a great way of building consumer um, engagement and relationships, increasing lifetime value and uh, giving um, customers a better unit price per bouquet in return for their, um, their willingness to commit because we can amortize uh, marketing and other costs across a larger number of deliveries. And so the, the important thing has become understanding which of our customers are going to want to become subscribers and actually um, become subscribers that are likely to, to stick around over some time rather than um, you know just try a subscription uh, for a single delivery and to get a better price and then cancel and then uh, dynamically surfacing uh, the subscription proposition to people who fall into that uh, bracket without surfacing it too widely to um, to people who don't fall into that bracket for whom it's either irrelevant or will cannibalize um, more profitable one-off gifting um, with uh, a subscription that they never intend to, to carry on with past the first delivery. And uh, again, having that um, the ability to, to work through that data at large scale and make those decisions has been really valuable for us in scaling up our subscriptions, what I'd call the right level to... Uh, to achieve that benefit, but without um, cannibalizing a much larger one-off gifting business in a much bigger addressable market. Yeah, the, the hybrid model is is really fascinating, and uh, I think it's I think it's a great point around how the the replacement rate of the specific consumer good category and the velocity of that purchase relative to other consumer categories is a really important determinant to to, to figuring out whether a subscription model makes makes sense for that consumer category. Something that I, I, I have seen, though, with, with other, other really game-changing businesses is the opportunity to leverage business process innovations and technological innovations to really increase the total addressable market for a specific, either a specific product or a category, uh, you know, a broader category of products. And I do see that potential in, uh, in, in, in the flower delivery category where potentially if one were to be a subscriber, to, to the offering versus buying on a one-off basis, it could increase uh, the velocity and frequency with which they gift flowers and could view flowers much more significantly as an opportunity to give a gift, potentially for smaller occasions than they had been given giving those flowers historically. Do you, do you see an increase in frequency and velocity of purchases like that? And do you view the subscription offering as a way of... Um, of increasing the overall size of the flower gifting category by making it more commonplace to, 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 to gift these orders um, in a, in a, on, a, on a faster and more rapid basis? 
I guess it depends on the, the nature of the subscription. So you can have a subscription where you um, you decide to to get deliveries either on a pay up front basis or on a recurring basis um, for um, yourself or somebody else um, uh, over a set time period or indefinitely. And that that does grow the market, but maybe not quite in the way that you say. What I guess that does is it means that instead of buying um, buying somebody, you know, one bunch of flowers for fifty dollars, you buy them six bunches of flowers for two hundred or two hundred and fifty dollars, and therefore, you know, either um, flowers becomes a more significant part of the gift, and you buy them just that for their birthday or for Christmas, rather than that plus a couple of other things. Um, or well, I guess primarily that, and therefore it grows the um, the, the flower gifting market in that way. What you've described is something which I think is a bit different, which is almost like a membership where you would um, spend X uh, dollars per month um, on, uh, you know, paying in credit, and as and then you would accumulate that credit, and you'd be able to use that to um, to send to whoever you wanted to, and as a result of that, you'd. Um, you know, you would uh, default to doing your gifting from Boom and Wild rather than from uh, from elsewhere, and that's not something that we do. It's something that we see other businesses do, um, you know, in, in categories like wine, for example. And I think it's an interesting model for us to explore. Yeah, definitely. I think that's I think that's a really important distinction to draw. Um, I, I want to shift directions, um, given we've talked we we we've, we've talked about how uh, on the on the digital side uh, how, how you you know, drive additional and improvement in user experience to consumers that go on the platform. Um, I, you know, from the research you did online, it also looks like it also looks like Bloom and Wild does a really fantastic job in in the offline world with uh, the, the the actual packaging that's used for the flowers and the bouquets. Um, and in addition to that, the, the actual method through which you deliver the flowers. So I noticed there's an option to deliver the flowers. Um, in a smaller format, smaller packaging versus other competitors, particularly in the UK where you deliver flowers uh, sometimes through, through through mail slots, in particular smaller flower bouquets. So I'd be curious to hear a bit, a bit more about how you leverage, uh, you know, strong, strong packaging, which is overlooked these days, I feel like by a lot of digital first businesses, and also the actual, uh, the actual mode of flower delivery to, to boost your brand and increase the accessibility of your offering to a, a wider consumer base? Sure. So uh, the, the letterbox uh, or, or mailbox, as you'd say in the US, um, flower delivery innovation has been really, um, really important for our business. It, uh, it was something that we invented eight years ago. And uh, I think it was a really strong initial hook for us to, um, to start our business. We, um, we learned that flowers are transported further back the supply chain flat pack to not on water anyway. Um, but by introducing this to, to consumers, we were able to do a few things. Firstly, we, um, we made flowers more deliverable. And as a result of that, because you, you avoid the, uh, you know, the issue of needing to check that the person is going to be at home to receive them, which ruins the supplies or having them, you know, taken back to the, um, uh, you know, to the sorting facility of the of the carrier partner, which then, by which point, you know, they get re-delivered a couple of days later and they haven't survived. So you immediately solve a problem like that. What you also do, though, is you, um, 
you make flowers less of a grand gesture and more of an everyday gift. Um, and this means that people will send flowers for a much broader range of occasions. And the reason why is that the, the product doesn't need to feel um, you know, as big, it therefore doesn't need to be as expensive. The, the fact that you're, um, you know, we're not paying for somebody to arrange the flowers and um, that we don't need, um, uh, shipping isn't as expensive, uh, packaging isn't as expensive, all means that we can, um, we can trade, sell um, the flowers at an attractive price point. And a, a bouquet that um, might feel small if it's in a giant box is actually a really good bouquet um, and really fills a, a box of this nature. So all of those things have meant that we've been able to, to build up everyday gifting for occasions like thank you, sorry, thinking of you just because, uh, for example. And as a result of that, we build higher frequency um, than many of our competitors that don't focus on this segment, especially among uh, female customers that will tend to gift to a wider range of, um, of recipients than, uh, than male customers will. It may or may not be, this may or may not be sort of how it should be, but uh, what we see um, across a large customer base is that men tend to give flowers uh, primarily to um, you know, to family members or to um, to partners, whereas uh, women will give flowers to all of those uh, types of recipients, but also to co-workers, um, you know, friends, etc. In a way that um, hasn't become a societal norm for uh, for men to do so. As a result of this, we see a, a high female customer, a, a female skewed customer base ordering more regularly for more um, occasions to a broader range of recipients. The recipients also tend um, heavily to be female, which again is not something that we think should be the case, but is, is the norm of the category at the time. As a result, uh, we, we have a, a high number of uh, uh, first time recipients each month who uh, have um, received the product from somebody else. These people tend to be female, and many of them go on to become customers and nearly half of our customers initially discover us by having been a recipient to begin with. I, go, I say all of this because what it's meant is that not only do we build um, higher repeat in a business like this, we also build high virality where um, the gifting of the product is also recruiting the next uh, generation of customers and the, a, um, a lower frequency Product, which also um, where the recipient is less likely to become the customer because the, the type of product that they're receiving isn't the type of product that they'd go on to send or certainly not as frequently um, doesn't have that advantage. And so we, we outcompete on virality versus others. And that's meant that we've been able to fund faster and uh, less expensive growth. Yeah, it's, that's that's super interesting, and um, because of because the flowers are given uh, primarily in, in acts of gift giving, it's 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 super interesting that each individual flower bouquet that's delivered is is almost itself uh, like a marketing opportunity that the customer is, is paying for, um, in a, in a gift giving in a gift giving consumer focused business, which I think is a really fascinating insight. I'd be curious just to hear a little bit more on the the on you know the initial insight that it seems like in the UK at least has been a really big differentiator and, and, and driver of, 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 of velocity and growth around the innovation of putting the flower bouquets through, through mailboxes and designing the bouquets such that they can fit through the mailboxes. How did you initially come, stumble upon that insight and, and have that, you know, 
just decide to have that differentiation versus some of the other players? Um, how, how did you initially observe that, uh, you know, that could be a really compelling growth driver for the business? We, uh, it kind of was the, the starting point. So I guess I described up front the, our desire to innovate across supply chain uh, technology and branding. This has been less of the case from a technology perspective, but we thought it could solve, it could both drive branding differentiation and it could um, help us solve some of the problems in the supply chain because it could uh, improve the cost position and improve the delivery success rate, um, as I described. Um, we we were inspired by a business called Graze, uh, G-R-A-Z-E, which does uh, snacks um, through the mailbox. And uh, I knew the uh, the CEO of this business. He was uh, at university with me and I was a customer and had uh, kept track of what they were doing over time. Thought it was really interesting. Caught up with the CEO from time to time. And as we started, my co-founder and I started to think about flowers, we were... Um, inspired by the this idea of uh, doing letterbox delivery and some of the the benefits that it might deliver at the time we didn't understand the shift in consumer behavior and the virality that's something that we've learned about and optimized afterwards but um, some of the the dynamics around um, convenience of delivery and cost position um, were certainly inspired by by seeing people do this in other categories yeah, that's, that's super interesting. And I feel like with these types of business process innovations, oftentimes you see a trade-off between uh, the, the, the revenue benefit and the cost benefit of some of these types of innovations. But it, it sounds like this innovation has been really beneficial, both on the cost side and minimizing delivery costs, but then also, like you said, driving higher revenue um, through that velocity and virality. Um, I, I wanted to, to, to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, talk about culture and the importance of culture in your organization. I, I saw online that your, your your senior team is majority female, and you know I thought I thought that in in conjunction with um, the the focus on on carbon offset just showed a really strong um, culture and a really strong emphasis on social impact within the organization. And I wanted to just you know specifically as it relates to uh, to, to, to gender diversity um, within the, the senior team. Um, I was hoping you could talk a bit about uh, the importance of diversity and inclusion in the workplace and how you use uh, diversity as uh, a competitive advantage for, for Bloom and Wild. Um, I think it's extremely important for, for, for companies to, to foster these, these diverse initiatives. Um, and I, I think it's great that it seems like that's been a focus for, for you and the rest of the leadership team. Yes, it certainly has been. We're also, I'll come on to gender diversity in a minute, but it's, uh, it's also very important for us to, um, to foster diversity and inclusion across um, other aspects of diversity, such as uh, ethnicity, um, sexual preference, um, among others. And we've, uh, we've really focused on this as a business um, over the last year or so in particular, and have uh, made a number of changes to our hiring practices, to um, the businesses and, um, and models that we partner with, to how we name products, um, to uh, charities that we support, to, to train obligatory training that we run, um, to, to try and foster DNI across, um, across uh, some of those broader areas um, uh, that I mentioned as well. From a gender perspective this is an area that we lent into early because we we knew that we were selling a product um 
primarily to women and that was being received primarily by women. So we felt that it made sense to really um, invest differentially in a female heavy team to um, you know, to respond to you know to the the types of customers that we were serving. And um, in doing so, we um, we not only think think that we build a better flower business, but we also think that we um, make a positive uh, societal change by um, uh, addressing, you know, the fact that women do tend to have uh, fewer opportunities in the workplace than uh, than men do um, in similar roles. So that's been very important to us, along with a number of other sort of aspects of doing business in the right way, such as sustainability, um, you know, such as how we support charities in our community um, and a number of other areas. I think from a from a gender perspective, we've started to see that it's becoming a source of competitive advantage. I think because we have a large number of um, women throughout our business, but especially in senior positions, those um, those female leaders provide um, uh, you serve as role models to other females um, in more um, junior roles in our organization, actually outside of our organization. So now we're seeing that um, we've become a, a really attractive uh, place to apply for candidates, um, especially females in technology, where we have a female CTO and we're really actively trying to increase female representation in our tech team, which um, is a, tends to be a, a relatively male-heavy discipline. And so... Um, this has turned into a, a sort of hiring advantage. And when um, great female engineering uh, candidates are looking at a number of organizations where they could work and they see that we are, um, you know, already have uh, lots of females um, who are doing well in tech and in other um, functions and senior positions, I think we've become a more attractive place for, for them to work than other um, employers that um, they might consider. And so it can become a source of competitive advantage for us. Yeah, definitely. I, I think within with, within my generation and um, within within younger generations that will be entering the workforce, I think these initiatives are just becoming more and more important, and um, you know are, are are becoming table stakes. And I think it's 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 certainly a really strong differentiator as as uh, candidates that are considering various options go through the the recruiting process. And it sounds like Bloom and Wild's doing a fantastic job of of differentiating itself in that regard through these initiatives. I wanted to jump into a couple of uh, kind of just rapid fire concluding questions um, out, outside of uh, Bloom and Wild in particular, but just to get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. Um, so I'd, I'd be curious to hear, uh, you know, what's what's one first impression uh, that you've had in the past uh, that was that was wrong that comes to mind? I guess uh, when we uh, started thinking about this is a bit of a businessy one. I can try and give a non-business one. But when we started thinking about international expansion, um, we considered we decided to expand into France and Germany. And I thought it would be uh, much easier to scale in France than in Germany because um, I knew the market better. I spoke the language more fluently. Um, There's a big French expat community in the UK and vice versa. And actually, as we've started to um, to scale, that hasn't. Um, that hasn't actually turned out to be the case. And we found um, that we've uh, logistics has been uh, more challenging um, in France. Uh, scaling in Germany has been really effective. And now with the bringing Bloom on into the business, um, we can uh, really accelerate that. So uh, I think often you can um, 
sort of judge business opportunities based on gut instinct um, uh, or sort of preconceptions, um, and then things turn out to be different. So it's important not to put too much weight on on those. Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's really great advice, um, and and happy to take a, a business answer there as well. Um, what's what's one um, or what, what would you say is the most borderline conspiracy theory belief that you that you have, um, or just a, a belief that others might might view as uh, you know, a bit crazy, but that you have strong conviction in. I'm really, uh, I'm really superstitious about a few things. In particular, um, when uh, when I went to university, um, you know, my mother dropped me off um, uh, on my first day, and um, she, I remember her really clearly saying to me, "Step in with your right foot first. It's good luck." Um, and I did, and then uh, I now do everything like uh, right side before left side. I, I <laughs> take my a right step before a left step when I walk into or out of a building. And um, I always like put on my right shoe first. I do the same for my children. My my older daughter now knows this and is sort of, a, I think, uh, uh, you know, ended up adopting this habit as well. So it's not rational, but um, it's sort of uh, I felt it's been uh, lucky, so I've stuck with it. Yeah, if it, if it works and it's, it's bringing about uh, good luck and, and good fortune, uh, why change it? Well, um, indeed. The last, the last rapid fire question I'd have is, uh, how, do you, how would you describe your high school self? Really uh, sort of uh, eager to do a good job and um, like, uh, I guess, achieve uh, validation and positive feedback, you know, and that, that meant trying to do well in, in school. It also meant trying to make friends and be popular. I think some of those traits have gone on to be things that have been really important for me as I've, um, uh, as I've tried to, um, you know, start my business and, and get into a business where, um, where you do get a huge amount of feedback from customers and therefore can, um, you know, if you listen to it and have systems for acting on it, you can uh, sort of really get ahead and make your, create a better proposition. Great. Well, well, thank you so much for your time, Aaron. I've really enjoyed the, the conversation and uh, look, look forward to, uh, to, to, to future conversations. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much, Sam. I've enjoyed chatting. All Innovation Armory podcast episodes and the views and opinions expressed at or through this episode belong solely to the podcast owner and his guests and do not represent those of people, employers, institutions, or organizations that the owner may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity. All liability with respect to the actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this episode are hereby expressly disclaimed. This episode is the podcast owner's personal opinion and is not meant to be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions.